Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Hello everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today I have an interview with Ronnie Robinson. So excited to have her on. Today we talk about, first of all, she's an author. She struggled with binge eating and an eating disorder altogether for 30 years. And most of that time, she didn't even realize that it was a definable problem. So we talk a lot about that, you know, how she even found out that she had an eating disorder, how she dealt with it what her experience was like in um, therapy and then Overeaters Anonymous and, you know, some of the causes that actually created her eating disorder in the first place, how she worked through that. We also talk a lot about at the end, her struggle with an abusive relationship, her first marriage. And I think it was such a genuine piece to bring up. It technically has nothing to do with bulimia recovery, but I think if you are really just listen to that part of it, um, it's at the end of the interview, but I thought it was so, she described it so detailed um, of how an abusive relationship can happen to the best of us and what those kind of things look like. And for someone that is in an abusive relationship that doesn't realize it, this could be helpful to listen to. So I really, uh, really um, would encourage you guys to just listen all the way through, especially specifically to the end of it and the beginning. Ron is just full of amazing, amazing content. Uh, but listen to that abusive relationship piece in particular, because you might draw some similarities, or if you notice there's similarities in your relationship, definitely take note. Okay. Um, lastly, I just want to let you guys know, first of all, there's a bonus episode coming out tomorrow with a little bit of juicy tips and drama from me. So (laughs) I hope you guys like that. Um, I decided to make it a bonus episode since it's a little bit different, but um, it's still, I think, valuable to share with you guys listening. And then also next week, I'm hosting a free webinar class, whatever you want to call it. Um, It's going to be all about how not to binge and purge. And I've learned so much throughout the past years of coaching that I really want to share that knowledge with you. And I originally had a webinar called how not to binge and purge, and I want to update it. I want it to be something really amazing that will be happening on Tuesday, the 24th of August um, at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, You can sign up to join uh, in the description of the podcast below. You can also check my Instagram. There'll be a link there and I'll post about it for sure. And even if you can't make that time, still sign up because you'll catch the replay. And that is going to be, it's going to be a wealth of just knowledge of what I've created, what I find are the best strategies for not binging and purging and probably some bonus tips in there too. And then lastly, keep yourself posted because I am going to be opening up another group coaching program. It's going to be three months and I haven't been able to open it up because I've been busy actually working with my current clients, focusing on them, but it's about time to open up another one. Enrollment will start September 
first and you'll be able to join. And then um, it's only a group of around five to eight people. It's going to be really small and specific and that's on purpose and it will start in October. So if you want to join that or you're just interested, still sign up in the description below and you'll get lots of information on that and you'll get to set up an appointment with me and talk about whether it's a good fit for you or not. I always need to talk to people first before joining just to make sure that there's some qualifiers there that they need to meet or if the program's even right for them. So you can do that in the description below the podcast. Otherwise, enjoy the show. I'll speak to you guys tomorrow and bye. Have a good day. I'll speak to you guys tomorrow. Enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. This is Jacqueline here. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I have a really special guest. I say that about every guest, but they are always really special. They're unique individuals. So I'm excited to have her on. I met her through Instagram, and she is actually the author of Out of the Pantry, A Disordered Eating Journey. Um, she posts a lot of cool clips of it on her Instagram, and I always read through them. I'm like, ooh, that sounds very intriguing. So definitely check that out. But she's, she's obviously a writer. She is over 13 years recovered from the 30 years of binge eating. She's an empty nester introvert three times Ironman finisher and menopausal spin instructor she's smiling right now as I'm saying all this this is Ronnie Robinson Ronnie thank you so much for being on the show uh, Jacqueline thanks so much for having me I'm happy to be here yeah of course so we have a lot to go over um, I have lots of good questions here to ask you but um, I think the most fascinating question to start out with that I think people will probably relate to is um, that you really didn't know you had a problem with, I mean, maybe you did a little bit, but you didn't know it was definable, that it was something that people had sought treatment for, for a long time. Um, and can you tell me about like how that even happened and what was the moment that made you realize there's an issue? Sure. And you know what? I love that you use the word definable. I hadn't thought about that yet, but that's, that's exactly what was, what it was. Um, I, I started, um, binge eating and compulsive overeating, um, when I was about nine, um, from two reasons. One was that my mom hid cookies from me, um, and never said anything about it. Um, I looked and looked and I couldn't find them. And, um, this was like week after week. And then, you know, finally I said something to her and she acted like she didn't even know what I was talking about. Um, there was no, um, uh, there was no t closeness and there was no warmth and there was no lovey warm and fuzzies in my house. So it wasn't like a, you know, Ronnie, we think this is happening and I'm going to let's, can we maybe, can you maybe ease up on the cookie eating or, you know what I mean? There was no conversation, nothing. And when it, when it, when she hit it, um, I just, uh, you know, I was curious. I asked her, she, that's how she answered. And that was the end of the story. Um, and in my house, that was very common. My father, um, was like, just, um, he was a real piece of work <laughs> and he, um, he was really impossible. And he was one of those people who's never wrong, who never does anything wrong, never says anything wrong. So if him and my mother ever fought, which was often, my mom always ended up backing down because my father never did anything wrong. So I saw back down, woman backs down. So when my mom sort of took that with me, 
um, you know, had this, um, she had the cookies. I asked her, she didn't obviously want to talk about it. I backed down. That was just normal. Right. Anyway. So as I got older, um, I, you know, had the ability to get more and more food. I mean, it started with me, like I said, at nine, I would take my allowance money and walk around the corner to the supermarket and get a half gallon of ice cream and eat the whole thing in one sitting. And then just like stuff the packaging in the, you know, the, um, the supermarket bag and then put that down like into the bottom of the trash can so nobody could see. And, you know, then it was like, you know, a two pound bag of M&Ms one day and a package of donuts this day and this and that. And the older I got and the more um, I could get out on my own, you know, and I had a car and it was just my whole life just revolved around um, eating food and when I was going to get it and where I was going to get it and into even being, um, I went into an abusive relationship for eight years um, and then um, met uh, my current husband, who's freaking amazing and even married to him for 10 years um, at that point. And I still was just doing all this eating and my world revolved around food. And I knew I knew there was something wrong with it because I never told a soul. So it's interesting, you know, again, back to your defining it. I I never told anybody about it. Um, and I knew it kind of wasn't right, but I just felt it was me and, you know, not to, this is like a terrible word, but I just felt like I was a pig. I just couldn't control myself with sweets. And I had this crazy sweet tooth. Um, and when I say, you know, in the, but I ate tons and tons of food, it wasn't like I was gorging myself on carrots and celery sticks. I mean, it was junk food primarily, but also like comfort food things, but really just love chocolate and anything sweet um, or car seriously carbohydrate-y um, bagels and that kind of thing. Um, and um, yeah, I had, I had no idea. I mean, I had heard of anorexia and bulimia in school and I knew that those two things I, I wasn't doing, not that I didn't try to become bulimic. Um, you know, I'd be so stuffed from just eating thousands upon thousands of calories in one sitting. I would try to throw it up, but I couldn't. And, you know, in hindsight, I, I guess it's a good thing that I could, because I would have just been yet another issue to deal with. But um, yeah, I just thought it was me. And um, one one night, um, again, happily married, two children at that time. My kids were young. I think they were sleeping and my husband was out and I um, was watching television and I heard the words compulsive overeater. And I may have heard it before that, I don't know, um, but at that moment it hit me. And, you know, I kind of had a, whoa, huh, that's, that's interesting. And I went over to my laptop and I started Googling and the, the most, um, uh, Prime, primary thing that came up was Overeaters Anonymous. So I went on their website and it very um, pr uh, pr prominently asks, are you one of us? And it says, do you do this with food? And have you done that with food? And, you know, do you do this? And I was like answering, there's like maybe 15 questions. And I was like, yes, 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 yes. And I was like, oh my God. I have an eating disorder. <laughs> like I mm -hmm. truly had no idea. And, and that was like, so emotionally charged for me, um, you know, on the one hand, I was happy because there's a name, it's definable, right? There's a name for this. I had no idea this was a thing. Um, and 
I was so happy that there was a name for it. Um, on the other hand, you know, as I read, I saw that it's a mental illness and I was like, wow, <laughs> I have a mental illness, you know, um, that unfortunately, you know, is still a stigma today. But, you know, back then it was, you know, 13 and a half years ago, that was even more unfortunately, you know, a stigma. And it was just, it was just really emotional and a lot of, it was relief. It was sadness. It was, um, shame, um, just a, a lot of feelings. Uh, and I immediately, um, as a writer for off and on at that point for, um, like 20 years, I immediately just sat at my laptop and typed out a letter to my husband, um, who was like, I think I might've said he was out watching like a sporting event or something. Um, and, uh, I waited up for him to come home and my letter was just like a blow by blow of what just happened. Hey, I was watching TV. Here's what I heard. Here's what happened. And I'm like, this is me. Um, I, I have something wrong. I'm, I'm out of control. And th th this is what I've, you know, I just briefly told him like, you know, things that I had done behind his back, just, you know, if we had parties and he'd be walking people out and I would be finishing up in the kitchen, I would be gorging on everything, you know, and he would come back in and say, Oh, gee, I was going to try that, those brownies. And like, I ate them all, but I said, Oh, I put them down the garbage disposal. Um, anyway, so I, just wrote this letter to him thinking he's going to take our children and be like, well, it was nice knowing you and, you know, good luck with that. <laughs> you know, you're just, you've got all this baggage, you know, I just thought I was this horrible person for, you know, what I had been doing. Um, but being the um, amazing guy that he is, you know, of course he hugged me and I bawled and bawled and bawled and just oh God, so much crying. Um, you know, he loved, of me and he would support me and um you know we'll get through this um so did i answer your question <laughs> yeah no you answered the question beautifully that and that covered not only kind of how it was for you to hear that and and after all these years and kind of capture your backstory a little bit but also telling your husband so you just told him immediately you would like didn't even hesitate you're like i gotta say it right now yeah, I, I did. I mean, you know, I typed out the letter, um, but I also was starting to do research now. I'm like one of those people who I'm like, all right, I need to know everything about this that I can. Um, mm -hmm. And I learned about these Overeaters Anonymous meetings, and I learned that I needed to go to therapy, and I saw that there were books. So I ordered like two books that very night and started looking up um therapists that were in my, you know, healthcare network and um, started, you know, to find meetings that were nearby that I could go to. Um, I mean, it was sort of like a, um, I, it's such a horrible thing to um, give, give an analogy to, but it was sort of like somebody told me I had cancer and I was like, well, I am throwing the kitchen sink of everything I can do with this because I, I don't want this anymore. I'm fighting this and I, I want to be free of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's not a horrible analogy. I know you don't think that cancer is, uh, you know, a different thing entirely, but it is a good example. It's like getting a sentence and being like, okay, let's try to do everything. We're going to fight it at the very least. Did yeah. That, yeah. Um, as far as treatment, you went to see therapists. Did you do anything else or was it just mainly therapy that helps you out the most? Um, therapy, I can say definitely helped me out the most because that, um, 
that is what got me to dig into my past and recall that my mom hid food from me. Um, and the therapist was able to ascertain that, um, you know, there wasn't much conversation in my house and there wasn't much bonding and just like emotional support. And that basically I wasn't loved the way I needed to be loved. Um, I mean, we didn't have, um, I have like at this point, like no, I don't say no, but probably I could count on one hand how many pictures I have of myself as a child, um, you know, doing things. Um, my parents, we didn't, and we didn't do anything as a family. We weren't family oriented with either of my parents' side of the family. We got together, you know, once, once a year, maybe. Um, and, you know, that was that there was no, my parents, we never went on a family vacation, or I think we did one time. All the other times, my parents, if they had the money, they went somewhere on their own. So there was no like sense of family and lovey dovey. And we're here to support you. And, Oh, you look like you had a bad day. What's wrong. Um, so that's what I learned in therapy um, that I, with all of that, between the cookies being hidden and just the in general, um, you know, lack of warmth and emotion in my house, um, I turned to food. It wasn't a, a, um, a conscious effort or conscious thing that I did. It just sort of happened. Um, and I, you know, can look back now and realize I could have turned to alcohol. I could have went to drugs. I could have, you know gotten into a whole lot of really bad addictions and just, I guess, food probably at that age seemed the easiest to me. Um, and that's what I used as a coping mechanism. That was my love that I wasn't getting, um, you know, at the time. And that's, that's what I learned um, in therapy. And I also learned with that to, um, I had an amazing therapist who helped me to heal this, you know, young Ronnie, you know, what did, what did I need when I was little that I didn't get? And she helped me to give that to my younger version of myself, as weird as that sounds. Um, but that was really, really important. And to, and to understand that my mom, primarily my mother, but, you know, with my father too, um, they didn't do anything maliciously. Um, they weren't obviously trying to hurt me. They, they were doing the best they can with what they could and they were dysfunctional in their own right. And together they were dysfunctional. Um, so it wasn't, you know, they weren't trying to harm me and, you know, they're just, they weren't wired to be emotionally available for me or to show their emotions. Um, so I, I learned that all later and that also was huge. Um, and another thing was in the recovery was to go to over these Overeaters Anonymous meetings. It was, it blew my mind to first even just find that website and be like, there's another person like me <laughs> who is obsessed with food. I mean, I couldn't, I really couldn't believe it because I really thought I was the only person who did this. Um, you know, I never heard anybody else talk about it or anything. And I, I was just truly blown away that I was like, this is, there's a website that one person created a website that there's maybe even more than one person who does this. I couldn't believe it. And then to go to the meetings and I was sitting around and, you know, there's people of all ages 
men, women, um, thin, overweight, different um, um, nationalities and cultures and socioeconomic status and everybody in the room. So we all had, you know, different backstories. We were all obsessed with food and just, you know, stuffing our faces. And it was like, my people, you know? Um, yeah. And because nobody else could possibly get it. Right. I mean, even my husband who I've mentioned, who's amazing, he doesn't get it. He doesn't, um, fortunately doesn't have any kind of addiction and, um, you know, he could never understand. I mean, he sympathizes and, you know, is supportive, but you really can't get what it's like. Um, unless you're there. And I was just surrounded by my people. And I remember, you know, we once, you know, held hands in the very beginning and read, read something. And it was like, welcome home, welcome home. And I remember just crying. So I was like, oh my God, this is welcome home. This is my, these are my people and I'm home. And just, oh my gosh, the first like few days or so, maybe to a week that I learned that I had an eating disorder and went to OA, I did so much crying and I, you know, realized in time that I was just crying out all these buried feelings and emotions that I really didn't even know were there. I had no idea that I um, was eating for love um, or that I had, you know, stuffed just these unnameable things that I was the re these reasons that I was just uncontrollably eating. I, that again, hadn't been identified. I didn't know there was a name for them. And, um, you know, I just was so emotional. I just did so much crying, um, which was, you know, really cathartic. And I think it was really great for me, again, in hindsight, to just get out all of these things that were like stuffed down um, inside me. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I can't imagine going that long. It's kind of like the experience sometimes women have where they are pregnant and they don't know it. And then they go that whole time yeah. with it. And then suddenly they're having a baby and it's like, what? I wasn't prepared at all for this. Um, so <laughs> right. for you to go such a long period of time and then not really realize it, just the amount of uncovering emotions you had to go through and the difference of probably like letting that habit go, that, that emotional coping mechanism go and all the stuff that was buried there that you didn't really realize I can't imagine what a process that was <laughs> and what it maybe yeah. did it have any, any um, effects on your family going through treatment and therapy like that or going through therapy and overeaters anonymous. Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, certainly not in any kind of negative way. My kids were pretty little, um, maybe like, uh, like eight and six, um, my husband was always really supportive and I would, you know, come home from therapy and be like, oh my God, listen to what, you know, we, I love therapy and listen to what we talked about. I loved therapy because it was just so, it was just so cool, like uncovering all these things and just like putting these pieces of a puzzle together. And I didn't even know that there was a puzzle and now I had a puzzle and now, you know, we were putting pieces together and it was it was, you know, some parts of it were hard, you know, remembering things and, and, you know, and realizing that I wasn't, um, not that I wasn't treated well, but that, you know, you, you, you know, you start to think, well, what was wrong with me? Why mm -hmm. wasn't I lovable? What, you know, what, what, 
what did I do wrong and why, why wasn't I worthy of that? You know? Um, so it was a lot of working through that, which, you know, was kind of sad and kind of hard. Um, and, you know, definitely my self-esteem and self-confidence all took really huge hits during, um, you know, that whole time. But then luckily the therapist was there to, you know, to be there to build me up and, you know, and ensure me that it was not me, that it was, you know, my mother primarily. And, um, yeah, it was just so, it, it was, it was just a lot. <laughs> it was really, really a lot to hear and really a lot to process. Um, and, and actually I went to two therapists who were both amazing. I got, I'm so grateful. I was so lucky. The first one was the one who helped me really dig into my past. And then the second one was to help me deal more with changing how I viewed food and looking at food. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a lot to, like you said, I mean, 30 years, I mean, that's over half my life that I've you know, been alive. Um, it really was a lot to undo. Um, so it really was a lot of work, but oh my God, I'm, I'm so grateful for all the help I got. And, um, it was amazing. And just, and just also on top of the therapy and the Overeaters Anonymous, I also read books, um, by people who, um, had recovered. I guess now that I think about it, it's like books like mine. Um, but um, cool that now you're you wrote your own book and it's out for people. Like how crazy is that? I, you know who would have thought? And um, and the last thing was is that as a writer, um, it was really easy for me. I started um, blogging, but I, I blogged anonymously, and you know all about the eating disorder. It was just such a great place. Along with, I mean, again, as you said, you know, it was just like a lot to deal with and so many, you know, three decades worth um, with blogging. I just did these total brain dumps um, of what was going on or, oh, my gosh, it's Thanksgiving or my God, it's Halloween. And I could talk about these feelings and thoughts that I was going through while in therapy and, you know, look back at what I might have done the year before and how this year, OK, I'm really going to try to do things different. And I found like such a such a supportive world. I mean, much like on Instagram now, which I don't even think existed back then. Um, you know, you find just so many people who are like, yep, I know exactly what you're feeling. And, you know, they, um, they validate you and you, you know, validate them. And it's just such a wonderful supportive world. So those were like, that was kind of like my four pronged attack, my kitchen sink, so to speak. And, um, you know, uh, getting myself to recovery was the therapy, the OA, um, the anonymous blogging, um, which I did for about a year and reading books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a whole, uh, not trifecta, that would be three, but a whole <laughs> of things behind you for sure. Um, yeah. And so with, I think I want to ask first, but I, I also want to touch on like some past things too. First of all, I like that you said, um, with your parents, you, said it in such a kind way and I'm sure it didn't always feel that way but you said it in such a kind way of being like they didn't have the capacity that was them and really right. like it's still it's putting responsibility on them but it's also doing it in a way that's very empathetic and understanding and I think it's so easy and of course you know people that have been through some really traumatic experiences with their parents, maybe their parents were abusing them in some way. It's a lot harder to be so empathetic towards them, but For sure. you can, you can feel bitter towards things and, and blame people. But I think that's such an, a good place that you've gotten to there. And if, if anyone else out there listening is, you know, had a similar thing, I think that's a great way to look at, because I've had similar things with my parents and 
I don't blame them for, they were very loving. I had a very loving family, but there were certain things they did that might've contributed. And I just, know mm. that they never purposefully did that. They just didn't know any better. Uh, so right. It's, it's helped me a lot too, for sure. But I'd yeah, like yeah. to ask um, with, with the, the therapist that you worked with, with changing your food habits, what did that look like? How'd you even start to change your compulsive eating habits in relationship with food? Um, well, first was again, the, the first therapist who helped me to learn where it all came from. Um, you know, and I was sort of able to, um, you know, it was just a continuing thing, you know, processing that. And it was my family and there's nothing wrong with you. And you, you know, you didn't do anything wrong. And, um, and then the second therapist, the, probably one of the biggest things that he taught me, or one of the biggest takeaways that stays with me is that I, I put a spotlight on food, um, whether it would be at an event or, you know, um, at home, whatever the case may be. And that is not where the spotlight belonged. The spotlight belonged on people <laughs> and other things. And he encouraged me. He said, you know, Ronnie, you're a reporter. Observe and be curious. Um, so the food, so say there's a plate of brownies and, you know, and my, my original thought is, oh my God, my brownies are kryptonite. How, how do I go from, how do I not eat like a whole plate? Um, and he's, and he would encourage me again, take the spotlight off of it. You are doing that. Take the spotlight off. Um, and also, um, so you can say to yourself, okay, you see these brownies, they look really good. And instead of acting on that immediately and impulsively and compulsively, do you be curious about that? Go, huh, okay, I, I, those brownies really look good. And you know what, typically I would really eat a bunch of them. <clears throat> and to just stop and, and think about it um, and observe it, um, you know, and be curious. Um, so those were some things that were really interesting to me. And that also, um, he said that when you expand other parts of your world, and all of this is in the book, by the way, um, um, when you expand other parts of your world, your focus and the spotlight on your food will get smaller. Um, yes. and and that was really big too. Um, I mean, yes, I had my children and my husband, but, um, and I, and I did work out like all this time. I mean, I'm a tomboy. I've always played sports my whole life, but about two years into, um, recovery, I got into triathlon and that was, um, because I'm kind of a type and I was all in, it was, um, so, so much. It was three sports that I needed to learn about even more than I did and get better at and how to race and choosing your race schedule and nutrition and da, 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 like on and on that really consumed a lot of my, um, my, my mind and my, my time and my brain power. And, um, it also helped me to learn to use food as fuel. If I eat a bunch of shit, excuse me, um, I'm going to not feel well and I'm, and I'm not going to perform well. If I ate well, I would perform well and I wanted to perform well. Um, so that was just like another thing that helped me along and, and just learning about how food 
um, was in my life and how it, you know, it wasn't, I used to just live to eat and I was eating to live, to, um, sustain myself and to have, um, good workouts. Um, but yeah, that's, that's eating to live. That's a really good way to put it because it, when sometimes when people say like food is fuel, like that sometimes takes all emotion out of it. And I do agree that can be like, you can eat for things that aren't fuel, but you can start looking at food in a way of how it's helping you versus hindering you and how it can actually fuel your life. Really helpful way to look at it. And even if you're not doing triathlons like me, I can't, I'm not going to have a a brownie Sunday for breakfast. I just won't be functional. So (laughs) it it makes sense. Right. Right. With your, um, with the observer thing that you're talking about, that mm-hmm. was such good advice. A lot of people, I think, hear that and they, they almost get frustrated probably because they're like, it's too simple. I've tried, but it really is. If you can detach yourself from it and observe and you, you're, you're, you always want to immediately react to it and just do it. But if you really right, right. and decide and separate yourself that's where a lot of the magic happens. And it takes a little bit of practice at first. I'm sure you have maybe many times where you tried to do that. It didn't work out, but if you can keep trying, it eventually gets there. And that is a big piece of it. Yeah. That's, I love you said it's where the magic happens. Yes. Just, just that awareness and not immediately. Like another thing was, is that just speak what he, what he said to continue on with that was that me being hungry is not a national emergency because <laughs> that's how I used to, I used to look at it that way. Like, Oh my God, I'm hungry. <laughs> I got to, you know, hurry up and like feed my face. And you know, I have to act on this. And it was like, okay, you're hungry. Observe this. You know what I mean? Sit back. You don't have to act. It's an awareness. Take awareness of your body's signals. doesn't mean you have to do anything that minute and you can actually still do things when you're hungry, you know, it was like, Oh my God. I mean, like that was like amazing to me. Cause I, you know, if I ever even let myself get hungry, that was crazy to begin with just because I was always eating, eating, eating and overeating. So that was like such a novel thing, like hungry. What's that? Um, mm-hmm. but, but to even to, so then those rare times where I got to that point, it was, it was like in a national emergency. And he was like, it's not a national emergency. Just observe it and be aware and, you know, okay. And then you can eat, just don't impulsively stuff your face because suddenly, you know, the red alarm went off that you're hungry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it feels like an emergency. So many, yeah. um, so many of the times, especially when you build up in your head that hunger is dangerous. Hunger is going to create more overeating or hunger. feels bad. We just react to it. Like it's this huge alarm and we're going to die when really that's yeah, the case. totally. Some people, some people listening to this, they have the opposite problem where they like you know, are too familiar with hunger and they, they kind of push that to the extreme edge. But I think a lot of people listening to the podcast are like me, are you, where we really had trouble feeling hunger and avoided it and just was overeating constantly. It was also rare for me to get hungry. Um, and when I was hungry, I would like try to stick with it as long as possible in a weird way. Cause I was like, right. I'm never this hungry, but at the same time I would make it this torturous event. And when I, I, something that helped me was trying to think of hunger is actually a really healthy thing. It's my body mm. way of letting me know that we need food. It's not 
a danger. I will not die, but it's important. Healthy bodies feel hungry sometimes. And that helped me manage it more. Right. Right. But then there's that little control factor of, oh, I'm hungry. Let's see how long you, right. So I know exactly what you're saying. Like there's that whole, you know, and again, that's the whole, like, you know, restriction um, aspect of it is that it's a powerful, right? Like, oh, I'm controlling this now. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting for sure. Yeah. Well, we're always, I think the problem with a lot of people with eating disorders is that we so easily we're on a tightrope and there's like two cliffs we want to fall into. We want to like mm-hmm. try to, we want to tr- want to widen the rope, get on a different bridge altogether. So we're not so easily going to fall off either side. Um, really yeah. There's a balance there you want to find. And sometimes we go too far off the deep end on each, but there's, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Great analogy. <laughs> yeah. That's what it just, it feels like that sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. so how long do you think, how long did it take you to stop the compulsive eating and kind of get fully back into life again, or, you know, into a different life? Oh, wow. Um, I think, um, it probably was a couple of years. Um, it, it was probably around the time actually yeah probably about a couple of years when i got into triathlon um is when things really came that much more together for me and for me it was triathlon but for somebody else it could be like knitting you know what i mean or like a thousand painting um it could be there's a thousand and one passions um that you know it could be for somebody and that was just me just i found a passion that instead of focusing my life on food um I was able to really focus and and put so much thought into something else. Um, And that's when it really, really came together for me. So that was probably, um, yeah, I I think about the two year mark or so, you know, and I still learned, you know, things as I went along and, um, you know, I'd still grab something compulsively and I'd be like, oh, wow, that was really compulsively that I did that, but it didn't ever lead to, to anything. Um, you know, it was just like a momentary, you know, oh, I really just jammed my hand in the cookies and, you know, pulled one out or, you know what I mean? Just like on a much smaller scale, but I could still recognize that behavior of like just diving into something. And I was able to go, Oh, wow. Well, that was compulsive. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, I think I was, I was pretty good after that, you know, and, and even today, so it's like 13 and a half years recovered. Um, mostly really, this is, a non-issue for me um but occasionally yeah i will still go oh my god that looks great and grab it but i think at this point i've learned that that's normal a quote-unquote normal you know and that quote-unquote you know like normal eaters will be like oh my god that looks so good and have it and it's not disordered or uh anything it's just like being human um you know like like you had said earlier that food can doesn't always have to be for fuel it could be for enjoyment and and that's okay um and uh yeah i've come to a, a place where i i recognize that and uh i i know that it's all right i know that it's okay such a good spot to be in and i am glad that you said that because a lot of people 
they think a lot of my clients, they seem to struggle with like thinking they're when they overeat or they still are excited about food. They think that they're still like, that's a binge mentality or they are actually falling back into it or something like that. But a lot of times their level of excitement is normal. And yes. a lot of people are like that. Um, if you put anyone next to like their favorite food and make them like slightly hungry too, they're going to be like, oh my goodness, I want that right now. So it's, right. not, yeah. it's not so bizarre. Yeah. Or even, you know, thinking back to, um, you know, along the whole lines of um, intuitive eating, you know, it's like thinking back to your childhood, you're like, oh my God, we have ice cream, you know, and it's exciting, you know, and it's okay. Um, and, you know, just going, going back to the time in your life where you were out playing and your mom had to call you in for dinner and you're like, oh man, I got to stop playing. All right, fine. I'll eat. And, you know, and then I'm going to go back out, you know, we're just, your life was not all around food and you ate because your parents were like, come on, it's time to eat. Or, you know, or yeah, you got excited because somebody brought you a cupcake, you know, you know, like just those simpler times where everything else in your life and all your playing and everything was just more important um, you know, than eating, but yeah, you enjoyed things when it was, you know, put in front of you. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Can I ask, this is veering off topic completely, but, um, you, we mentioned it a little bit, but you did, you were in an abusive relationship with your first husband, uh, husband you said. Yeah. Can I ask, you know, a little bit like, what was that like and how did you get out of it? Um, yeah, of course. Well, it's, 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 you know, it makes up me and who I am now, um, because of, um, in my childhood, um, not getting the emotional support I had, nor did I have, and I really think this is important. Also, I didn't have a strong female role model, not certainly not in my mother and not in like, um, a friend of my mom's or, um, just any other woman in my life who was there for me emotionally or who was there supporting me, I had like nobody. And I had really low, um, really low self-esteem and self-confidence and no sense of self um, or of my worth or of my value. Cause I was never told that I was never shown that um, I never had anybody kind of championing me Um you know, telling me I could be whatever I wanted to be and, and all those kinds of things. And I met um, my first husband. I was 19. He was 18. I had just came back from my freshman year of college um, and, you know, was home for the summer working a summer job. And he was at that job and he was like really cute and he drove a nice car. And um, I was like, oh, my gosh, he was paying attention to me, which I couldn't believe that somebody, you know, as good looking as him would, you know, like me. Um, and so we started, um, dating and, uh, he was a little bit, uh, um, uh, like overprotective and whatnot, but it was kind of nice, you know, I, at that time I was like, oh, that's so nice. Um, but then when I was, you know, getting ready to go back to school, which I lived away at college, it was only an hour away, but you know, I still lived away. And he was like, well, when you're going to come home every weekend, aren't you? I'm like, uh, no, I was planning to go to football games and hang out with my friends and work and stuff like I did my freshman year. And he's like, well, I'm not going to be here then. We're done. And for whatever reason, that scared the shit out of, excuse me, that scared the crap out of me. And um, I 
like an idiot, like, and again, so where most girls hopefully would be like, yeah, well, I'll be back when I'll be back, but I'm gone off to college now. And yep, this doesn't work out too bad. Um, I, like an idiot, drove home every weekend, um, not to my parents' house. I went to him and his parents' house, never told my parents that's what I was doing because they would be like, what are you doing? Um, I missed out on the football games and I came home to him. Um, and I ended up, um, and this was just, you know, the beginning of it, his manipulating me and gaslighting me and, um, slowly my circle of friends, um, I don't want to say they abandoned me, but I, you know, I turned 21, um, and like any, you know, most people you go out for a drink, your first legal drink. Oh my gosh, my license finally says the right day. And I had friends who invited to take me out and I was, you know, telling him like, Hey, so I'm going to be going out this night. Um, and he's like, well, no, you're not. I was like, well, what do you mean? It's my 21st birthday. He goes, well, I'm not 21, so I can't go with you. Um, so you're not going. And of course, like an idiot, I was like, okay. Um, and just a bunch of, you know, um, nobody's going to love you like I am, like I do. Um, and uh, just all this stupid gaslighting that I fell for because I just had no self-esteem and no self-confidence. And I mean, and this guy who was very good looking, um, he never complimented me. And if I ever was like fishing around for a compliment, like I had on some new dress, we were going somewhere, he would say, well, you know how good looking I am. So I wouldn't be going out with somebody who was horrible. And like, that was his backhanded compliment to me. Yeah. So, um, and we broke up a couple times and, um, he, um, just, I mean, he even, one of the times we broke up, I finally built up the courage to break up with him. Um, so I I'm Jewish. He, he wasn't. And he would, he said to me, well, now you can find your bleeping, um, Jewish husband, have your bleeping Jewish wedding and have your bleeping Jewish children. And, you know, I remember thinking at the time, like, oh, my God, I was with going out with this guy. I can't believe that. Like, how could he be so horrible? And I like told people. And six months later, he sweet talked me back. And then we got married. And, I, you know, like just uh, he told me he needed me. He said, oh, I went to therapy and I found out that you're the person I could be myself with. And I thought, oh, my God, he needs me. How can I how can I not be with him if he needs me so much? And finally, how I left was um, and then this went on a lot of times. I mean, he like punched walls and he broke his hand and he would have me. We would agree to some story because he didn't want to tell people why his hand was broken. He once um shoved me up a wall and like screamed in my face. Um, he never really, he never physically abused me. I mean, I was like the most he ever did was just like pushing me against the wall and then shoving me up the wall and like screaming at me two inches from my face. But, um, just, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, whatever, just, ugh, I, I can't even believe that I'm so embarrassed to even say that that happened. Like I wouldn't even get in that situation. But, um, uh, finally, um, we were married for about a year and we came home from somewhere. We were pulling into our driveway and we started for some reason talking about children and he was super materialistic. I didn't grow up with much, so I wasn't like that. And I don't know that he did either, but I guess he was like determined to show people um, like he, he was very anti-college 
and was like, well, I'm going to be out in the work world and I'll be making money while everybody else is going to college and, you know, getting these debts and then paying off the debts. And I'm going to be so much better than them. And, um, he, uh, he said, you know, when you have a baby, you're going to go back to work in six weeks. Cause I'm not changing my lifestyle. And at that very moment, I finally had like that, you know, Oprah aha moment where I was like, Oh my God, I don't want my children to be anything like him. Not one characteristic, not one single thing. And that was like, Oh my God, I, Wow. And from that moment on, it took me six months to build myself up to um, have the courage to to leave him. But like during that those next six months when he would say something to me, you know, nobody's going to love you like me or that was really stupid or whatever in my head, instead of cowering and crying and questioning, what am I doing? I was like, yep. I don't belong with you. You're not healthy for me. This is not a healthy relationship. This isn't the way it should be. Um, and, you know, I finally was able to leave. And um, yeah, he called me like, I went back to my parents' house and he called me like two weeks later, apologizing. And you're right. I've been so horrible and da, 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 da. And, you know, part of me went, wow, he's, he feels really bad. And um, he knows what he did was wrong. And he promised me he's going to change. And I realized, you know what, fundamentally, he's just really not going to change. And I've really given this a lot of efforts. Many, he's got many tries at this and I really need to leave him in my past and move forward. And I did. Good for you. I, I think, but I do believe people can change, but it's also like, you don't necessarily have to wait around for them to change. So even if he, maybe now he has changed, who knows, but you don't necessarily right. have to be the person that they change with. And if it's bad for you, it's bad for you. And you have a right to leave and a right to draw those boundaries always. Does it yeah. Mean, yeah. Yeah. I had never, and another, again, another great word. Um, I never had any boundaries. I never, I think I just believed that I had given him other chances. He had told me many other times, I promise I'll change and I'll, be nicer or I'll be this and I won't do that. And he never did before. So there was no reason for me to think he was going to change this time, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I had cried so much over him and so over so many things that he had done to me and said to me and the way he made me feel. And there's just something some, finally deep inside of me was like, you don't deserve, this isn't right. This isn't how, a marriage should be. This isn't how a relationship should be. And I just trusted my gut instinct that, you know, this was just very unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. Well, first of all, you know, you're saying you've obviously done a lot of work on this and moved past it quite a bit, but you're saying, oh, I feel embarrassed that I got myself into that situation, but it's so common. It's so common for things, situations like that to happen. Gaslighting is a real thing. Um, I thought I heard that it's actually pronounced some other way. I, so I might be, we might be saying that wrong, but. Oh, okay. Anyway, Sorry. I don't, I don't know. I don't I think I'm remembering some other word, but it is a real thing. It does. And people can, even strong people can be easily manipulated into certain things. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, all that. Um, and I like what, what 
really did it in for you was him mentioning something about the future because I think when you're in mm. relationships like that you think oh but they won't do this they won't like, right that crazy but when they say something that gives you a glimpse of something that's going to happen five years later or 10 years later it's a real real jarring moment where you're like oh my god I don't I don't want this to happen in the future and him saying something like that thank goodness he said that or maybe you would have stayed so yeah yeah you're absolutely right and you know what even just dating him it for some reason like as stupid as it sounds when he like proposed to me I didn't even think my life with him and growing old with him it was just I was caught up in the moment just in the right there and the right then and now and oh my god here's this ring and yes you know it wasn't even thinking oh I could see myself with him and we're gonna have children you know what I mean like I I I, I don't know why, for whatever reason, you know, was there a character defect of mine or something? I just didn't like think about the future. Um, I, I was just in that, it caught up in the moment. And, and you're right. That's such a you, really, and I've told this to you before, Jacqueline, you always just, I love how you express things and the way you think of things. Um, but yeah, I, I hadn't thought, oh, definitely. And I hadn't th- thought about the future and you're, you're right in how you viewed that. That was the first time, um, that I, you know, real, a real, um, tangible thing, like, oh my God, children don't want them to be anything like him. What am I doing with this guy? <laughs> like, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, it's like, he was a fortune teller you teller for you for a second. And that was, yeah. that was enough that, to send you running. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness. Like you said, thank goodness. He did say that. How much longer would I have been there and got, you know, God forbid if I had had children with him and then had to deal with all that. So, mm-hmm. um, I yeah, I feel very fortunate. And thank you for everything you've described. You describe it in great detail. And I think that's so handy for people listening. I know we're running uh, close on time here, but uh, people that are in a relationship like that, I know it technically has nothing to do with binge eating or bulimia or anything like that. But a lot of people that are in an eating disorder have probably have suffered with an abusive relationship too. And sometimes they don't realize they're in one. So if you for those people out there listening, I would say like, even if you kind of, maybe wonder if you're in one i would talk to someone else about it someone you trust and see what they have to say that might be a good way to start out yeah definitely and you know what that's another thing too much like the eating disorder i didn't talk about it um i was too um i was embarrassed um it was shameful that i somebody was treating me that way um and also i didn't want it to somehow get back to him and then suffer some consequences for that So it was interesting. I was having like two hidden lives in a way. I had this binge eating that I was doing secretly and I had this abuse that I was taking, you know, secretly. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, you know, for me, they were a little bit intertwined. One, you know, they all stem from the same thing, you know, from my childhood. And um, and so, yeah, (laughs) um, you're you're really making me think about a lot of things today. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. We'll, yeah. we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up then because we are at the hour, but um, I really think this is a jam-packed interview with a lot of things. And this, for people listening, this is like the tip of the iceberg. Um, I'm sure your book entails yeah. so much of this. So go check that out. And you're also on Instagram. What's your Instagram handle again? Um, Ronnie Rob Writes, W-W-R-I-T-E-S. Okay, Ronnie Rob Writes. 
Nice. That's brilliant. And, um, <laughs> and if you guys like, you can find her through my profile too. You can probably just search like follower list or something. And also you were on, um, recovery bites. You were on that podcast too. Yes. Yes. So if you want to hear more of her, you can go there. She has a lot of clips on Ronnie has a lot of clips on her Instagram. So you can hear her talk there, but you can also check her on that out on that podcast. I haven't listened to that episode, but I know you have it in your link. So put that out there. Yep. Um, but cool. Uh, is, is there any last thing you might say to someone who's struggling with an, uh, binge eating compulsive overeating? Um, just tell somebody, um, you're only as sick as your secrets. I think that's an overeaters anonymous thing, but I really, really found that to be true. Um, cause you're keeping it all inside and you're keeping it a secret and you really can't get well that way and get better. Um, so tell somebody, talk about it, get the feelings out and go get help because I think very few people can recover on their own. Yeah, yeah, that's such a truthful way to, I, I do think people can recover on their own. It's just, it might take them a lot longer and it might be a lot more painful at the very least right. tell just one person it doesn't have to be a professional, but I think t taking a leap of telling someone really yes. encourages you to maybe reach out to others and get help and take it a little bit more seriously and go for it. Yep, yep. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm sure people really like the episode. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening. Bye. Thank hey, if you like this episode, you have to come check out the Binge Breakers Recovery course. If you're trying to recover from bulimia and you're sick of doing it alone and you feel like you've tried a lot of traditional therapies and it's not working with you, come join the course. Go to bingebreakers.com slash recovery dash course.